podcast and I'm Rachel and we are so excited today. Amber is here. Hello everybody. <laughs> and we have a special guest. This is so exciting. We have critic and podcaster extraordinaire uh, William Viviani is here. Hi, how you guys doing? <laughs> yeah, thank you so much for coming on our, our little podcast. Thank you very, very much for inviting me. I, I feel like I kind of kind of shoehorned my way in here when you had the Alonzo Duralde episode. And I was like, I want to do that, like really loud on Twitter. And then you guys took pity on me and invited me on the show. So I'm very flattered and thank you so much. I'm really glad to be. No, I am so excited because I we were, we were talking uh, off air that uh, where Amber gets excited about actresses and actors, I get excited about film critics because I love, I love, <laughs> I'm a film critic groupie, so. Very excited <laughs> to talk to you. I mean, I feel like that's not doing justice to how much Rachel loves film critics. <laughs> it's absurd. I mean, honestly, Bibbs, um, her, like, all of our messages are like, oh my gosh, William Bibiani looked at our tweet today. It was the best day of my life. You're making all that up. And I, I am not. not. I will show you the receipt. Oh my God. <laughs> I will say this, I, I'm totally, Rachel, I'm totally on your wavelength. I am a, a film critic uh, groupie as well. I have this huge imposter syndrome in which I don't know why I'm here. Uh, like I, I, the fact that I get to do like videos and things with like some really cool people just blows my mind and I keep waiting for them to kick me to the curb. So uh, I, I always am in awe of the best film critics uh, in the world. So, um, which is funny because like, you know, there's this whole mentality of like, do we need film critics? And I'm like, I guess kind of no, but it's nice to have us. We're fun <laughs> and we see movies and tell you about them. Yeah, I'm grateful. Yeah. Um, thank you. Thank you very much. No, no, no. Listen, it's, it's great. It's a, it's a really, really fun gig and um, it's lovely to hang out. And what I love about it now is that people are kind of like diversing and they're getting into some like weird niche areas because of the internet, because of podcasting. And so, you know, I, I don't know if I ever would have seen like a publication dedicated exclusively to critical analysis of the Hallmark movies. <laughs> But now we have we now we have y'all, and it's so much better to have something like this out there. And I'm really, really honored. To be here. Oh, oh, good. Well, I'm glad that uh, we 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 filled that void in, in everyone's life that they needed for a, a Hallmark movie analysis. But um, uh, so tell us a little bit about yourself and how uh, how you came to be a critic and and your podcasts and your other things oh. that you do. Well, I mean, I, I guess it's both complicated and very simple. I could take you through every weird life decision that led to it. But um, I grew up, you know, watching TV and loving movies. And what was kind of a key time for me was there was about a half a year where I wasn't, I, I was taken out of one school, but it was too late to join another school. So my mother, who was an elementary school teacher, uh, decided to homeschool me for like a few months. And in that time... Uh, not only was I doing math worksheets and studying history, but she insisted that we treat uh, film history like another part of an important, you know, base education. So like you would have required reading. Now you also have required movies. So when I was like eight or nine or 10, you know, I was watching Citizen Kane, Mrs. Miniver, uh, Alfred Hitchcock. And, 
that was really formative for me. And I really started falling in love with the medium and the history of it and doing all the research for it. And I would read, like, I would get like college textbooks from used bookstores in high school and I would just read them. And one thing led to another. I went to UCLA film school. I poked around in the industry for a little bit. And finally I realized that my niche really was writing about movies. And from that point on, I wrote for free for several years until I started writing for a very little amount of money. And then I started making enough to kind of not have to work at Staples anymore. <laughs> and, uh, and then, you know, it, it takes a really, really long time uh, for most aspects of the industry, for most creative endeavors. People always ask, like, how do you get into filmmaking? Or how do you get into being a cinematographer? How do you get to being a film critic? And it's usually the same story. You work for nothing, you work for a pittance, and then you might make a living. So right now I'm at the point where I make a living and I get to write for a bunch of cool websites and started a couple of podcasts. Uh, we had a podcast uh, through a website I worked for, but then that website is no more. So we started some new ones relatively recently, me and my podcast co-host, Whitney Seibel. Uh, one of them is called Critically Acclaimed. It's on the Schmoes No uh, iTunes feed and the SK Plus YouTube network. Um, we review new movies, but we mostly, our, our big focus is we review one classic movie and one bad movie every single week to show how there's a lot of like similarities between the two and try to elevate the discourse about bad films and kind of lower the discourse about good films and just show everyone that like there really is no difference and we can all appreciate all of them. Um, and we also have a podcast called Canceled Too Soon in which we review television series that lasted only one season or less. Um, some of these are rather famous, you know, your Freaks and Geeks or... Uh, 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 I don't know, Firefly, oh, Constantine, exactly. Uh, but a lot of them have been completely lost to history. And there's a lot of really fascinating shows that could have been a big deal, just weren't. And it's interesting to rediscover them and try to reintroduce them to people and um, try to get them talked about in that cult mentality. I think that's really interesting. You know, I, I remember when I was in high school, we went to, uh, we got to go to this like behind the scenes, whatever, actor seminar uh, for, a, um, uh, for a Broadway show. And we got to, there was the lady who was playing Carlotta on a, a Phantom of the Opera at the time. And she said, every overnight sensation on Broadway is 10 years in the making. Yes. And, uh, and I think that's true with every career. Like my sister has is, is finally had three, uh, three books, um, picture books published. And it's and it took her ten years, basically. To, That's fantastic. Good for her. Yeah, and uh, this is pretty exciting. And I don't know it just seems like almost everybody you talk to them, that I think that that's close to true. I mean, yeah, every once in a while you have your your Barbara Streisands or whatever that make it big at eighteen. Um, but uh, but yeah, I think that. Well well, they say that uh, luck is opportunity meets preparation. Uh, it doesn't matter if the opportunity comes along if you're not prepared to take advantage of it. And in order to prepare yourself, you have to do the work, you have to pay your dues, you have to do your research, you have to know how to do the job. So, like, if an opportunity comes along to be a professional film critic and you don't know how to do that well, you're not, it's pointless. So, yeah, everyone everyone's trying to do the work and everyone's just trying to get out there. And it's interesting how like you can be present in the conversation because of social media and you can also just not have an outlet. <laughs> like you could not be writing for anyone right now and you can still like contribute and stay active and um, hopefully, you know, make the conversation more interesting. 
that's mm -hmm. I think it's a, a it's an interesting place we're in right now. We're all trying to figure out what it's evolving into. Yeah, yeah, it really is. How did you get into Hallmark movies? You know, Alonzo told my story already in his episode, but I'll I'll, I'll tell it again. A couple of years ago, two or I guess three or four now actually. Wow, time. Uh, <laughs> I was in a car accident and I ended up having to have knee surgery and that sucks and I don't recommend it unless you need it in which case I obviously recommend you get the knee <laughs> surgery. You can avoid knee surgery do uh, because there's just kind of nothing you can do like you're in this terrible cast and you're just it's like six weeks where you can, can't really bathe well and you're just kind of holed up on a couch and I was in an apartment without an elevator and I was on the second floor so, this, so there's nothing I could do. So Fortunately, it was November, and it was Hallmark season for Christmas <laughs> movies. So, what, what year was this? I want to say, what was that one with that? The year the Julie Benz one, where she uh, she owned a department store, and her new Santa Claus might actually be Santa Claus, but okay. she might not be down with it because business. Yes. Whatever um, year that was, that was the big release. I remember at the time. Oh, darn it. Wanna I can't remember Christmas? what it's called. Charming I want to say 2015. It is Charming Christmas. Yeah, I want to say 2015? 2015 is correct. Okay, so about three years ago now. And, uh, you know, I was just, I, I, I'm a depressed and anxious person a lot of the time anyway, and, you know, I'm starting to feel real bad about myself, and I'm uncomfortable. And then, boom, Hallmark. And I think the first one that I really watched was the Brandon Routh one with the cat, I think it was like Nine Lies of Christmas. Yes. Which is not a well-made movie. Like you watch it and it's just like, this is not shot very well. And like the pacing is off and it is the most charming thing I have ever seen. <laughs> it is a delight in every conceivable way and I will watch more of your films, Hallmark. Um, and what I discovered, because I actually like, I'm, I'm a, one of my things as a film critic is I'm really big on genre studies. And I'm really interested in the way that films sort of congeal mm -hmm. and you'll make a film that's about a similar topic but because other films sort of successfully do one thing other movies kind of start doing the same thing and they start kind of following similar patterns and that goes from everything to uh you know slasher movies to dance movies uh to biographical motion pictures and on hallmark because they're really uncomplicated you start really seeing the, the formula. You start really seeing like the index cards on the wall, you know, where it's yeah. just like, okay, introduced to a, a, a single lady in funny job. She works at a hat store in Hats Off for Christmas. In Perfect example. Christmas. Uh, she meets, uh, uh, she's, she's currently dating guy who likes business. <laughs> She wants to do Christmas thing. Guy who likes business is unavailable because business. <laughs> she runs into guy who likes Christmas. Guy who likes Christmas is mildly annoying, but very affable. <laughs> she is forced to spend time with guy who likes Christmas. That makes it, and because he likes Christmas and her boyfriend doesn't, it's okay to cheat on the boyfriend. <laughs> Yeah, pretty much. Everything's turning out okay, and then boyfriend returns, and she realizes, oh, right, I have responsibilities, and ethics are a thing. <laughs> uh, and so she briefly goes back to that guy, and then she remembers, oh, wait, now the other guy likes Christmas. <laughs> so she goes to that guy, and we're good. 
Yeah. Like that's most Hallmark <laughs> Christmas movies and like it varies a little bit. Some some of them have like more of a magical gimmick than than, than the others or mm. um but like 90% of them hit most if not all of those bullet points. And I just started getting fascinated with how every single one of these movies is the same movie but different. And yet because it's Christmas they're getting away with it because Christmas is a time for tradition, when we listen to the same songs every single year for a month or more at a time, we do the same, we eat the same foods, we uh, uh, do the same activities. And as a result, this sameness is creating this very homey quality. And it's a homey quality that I don't think everyone can even relate to. Like I've never lived in a Midwest town where people uh, uh, you know, roast chestnuts on the street and have adventures like every like every Hallmark movie has a scene where you have to pick out the Christmas tree, and then you you're talking about Christmas while you do it. Yeah. And then another and then a guy comes in and just like, well, I was gonna get this tree, and you're like, well, meet cute, and he's like, I know. <laughs> and then they fall in love. Like that doesn't happen most of the time, but it very quickly you watch like three or four of them, and it's like you're indoctrinated into a cult. And it's a great <laughs> cult where everyone's really nice and, and charming. And yeah, they're not all good by any particular estimation, but they're all enjoyable on the same wavelength. They all have pretty much the same positive qualities and they also have a lot of the same flaws. <laughs> Some of them are simply just because of budget. Some of them are, there's a lot of people that the Hallmark movies don't think exist like yeah. at all. Yeah. Like, most non-white people like are not in there. Yeah. Uh, 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 people of different sexual identities. Yeah. Mostly not there. Uh, anyone who's like non like conservative is kind of off to the side a little bit. Anyone who has any sort of serious illness does not exist in a Hallmark movie. Um, Ask like I noticed in your list of your your top favorites, you didn't have any of like the. The emotional ones, like you went for all the wrong, like you didn't have a November Christmas. No. Or a season of miracles or things like that. Generally not. I find most of my favorite Hallmark movies are escapist um, rather than um, sort of confrontational. Most of mine come from the Hallmark movie channel and not Hallmark movies and mysteries, mm. um, which I find tends to have the more melodramatic ones. Mm. And, sure. and listen, that's 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 a taste, and that's totally fine. Like I'm not going to decry those at all. But like if for some reason, when I'm watching Hallmark and when Hallmark tries to tackle something serious, it comes across as a little less sincere than when they're just saying Christmas is neat and traditions are fun. Like I buy it when Hallmark says that. I'm like, yeah, yeah, I'm with you on that. But when they start like trying to pull out the waterworks, not every production is effective enough to make that work for me because I'm not necessarily invested in the characters because not all the actors are doing their best work or um, just, you know, the storytelling is a little, little, I can handle a certain amount of trite storytelling if it's in service of fun in Christmas. But when it's just like, and soldiers returning from war, and I'm just like, you gotta have a deft hand to make that work. And they don't always. So my favorites are the escapist ones. Interesting. Well, I'm 100% with you on that. So. (laughs) Nice. So sorry, Rachel. We're a team over here. Yeah. (laughs) Um, There's a hallmark for everybody, am I right? That's right. I mean, they produce enough content that I guarantee you everyone could find one movie they enjoy. 
basically think that Hallmark is doing right because their ratings are just through the roof. So <clears throat> you think they just found the formula and they execute it well enough, basically. Well, one of the things that I discover over time is that, you know, everyone's lives are, are different. I know that sounds obvious, but it works on a very individual moment to moment level. And the moment that everyone has to celebrate Christmas or do Christmas things, especially as you grow older, varies. So if you're in the mood for something Christmassy, boom, Hallmark, anytime like from like October 25th through New Year's, you, you got something right there and it's always the same movie. So it's always what you're in the mood for. And I think that's great. But you bring up a good point. These films are very popular. They get really good ratings. They are, uh, uh, they're huge. And it's one of the reasons why I kind of wanted to really emphasize them and really look at them every Christmas, because I think there's this tendency sometimes in the critical community to overlook something if it's on TV or if it seems to be made with sort of a frivolous mentality. Oh, it's just a Christmas movie. We'll throw it out there. But it reaches this huge audience, and I think it really behooves us to give it an extra look because it's reaching so many people. We need to actually sort of take a look at what are these films doing? What are they saying? What what makes them good? What makes them uh, uh, not good? Like we it, we need more critical analysis of this thing, in part because it is reaching so many people. And when you don't talk about something critically, when it reaches a, a lot of people, you run the risk of it kind of running rampant, and maybe maybe it becoming kind of a monster and we don't want it to become a monster. We want it to be a good thing. We've seen this happen on the internet where like just something happens and no one's paying attention to it. And all of a sudden it's this gross thing and no one likes it anymore. And I want to just sort of take Hallmark aside and say, listen, a lot of people are watching these things. Let's give it some critical analysis. Yeah. Um, so, but yeah, I, I think they're insanely popular. I think they're popular for that reason because they're familiar, because they're comfortable. And sometimes that means we're willing to overlook a lot of the things that are happening in them. And I think it's way more interesting to have a conversation about them, which is another reason why I love your show. Hmm, thank you. Wow. Wow. We don't want a Hallmark to become like a, a I don't know, like a, the Gangnam style or whatever. <laughs> or even we see this in like the geek community where they become like gatekeepers of it where people are just like oh you know you're not a real dc superhero movie fan and i'm just oh, like yeah. yeah no 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 we should all be able to just talk about these say what we like what we don't like it's okay to say you like some hallmark movies and not like some others for these reasons and it's okay to say i like them but they all do this and that's lame like we need to be able to just sort of have a polite and and well-reasoned conversation about yeah. them yeah well i was gonna say too i totally relate to your story about the knee because i also had this had the same thing happen to me uh but i my this was back in 2014 but my uh um i guess my my uh rescue was uh, i watched the whole disney canon and oh there you go yeah and reviewed because that was something i'd always wanted to do um, <laughs> Because that was before I uh, dived hardcore into into Hallmark, but uh, there you go. Yeah, I had a similar experience where I'm like, I'm just going to be sitting here, like I can't move. What am I going to do? <laughs> I'm a, I'm a big completionist. I like to really just delve into something and see all of it. So whenever like an opportunity comes along, like I just did an article where I ranked every Dwayne Johnson movie. Mm. That gave me an excuse to see every Dwayne Johnson movie, and I'm like, yes. 
my collection will be complete. <laughs> You're like, now I can finally watch the Tooth Fairy. Yeah, like I just, yes, well, actually, actually, you know what? Not bad. I know, it's good. That is actually pretty good. Like, I like that one. It's funny. Um, better than Game Plan. Of the two Dwayne Johnson and a Tutu movies, Tooth Fairy is the one to go to. But um, yeah, no, I, I'm, I'm totally with you on that. And I love doing these deep dives and really giving everything the critical analysis it, it I think, warrants. Yeah, it's really fun. Um, well, I wanted to ask about your show, The Cancel Too Soon. And my question is, are there just too many shows? Like, the good shows just can't, like, make? I mean, there's so many shows. Like, I, I just, it gets overwhelming. There are. There are, there are too, I don't know if there are too many, but there's so many that there's no conceivable way to watch them all. And especially, like, nowadays with every cable channel trying to get their original content and get their Emmys. And um, th there's a show out there for almost every person and almost every community, which is really, really great. But it's impossible to keep up. And when you look at, like my show does, sort of the history of failure, you realize that most shows don't work. Most shows don't become series. Most shows don't last very long. And it's interesting to look at television as this history of trying things and screwing up. Like it's just every, like you look at every year, make up like find an old entertainment weekly that's a fall TV preview guide from like anything from like more than two years ago and just see how many shows you do not recognize that are not there anymore, that did not become a thing. Um, and I like my show because we get to sort of resurrect those. Like people worked really hard on those. And yeah, a lot of them stink and we talk about that. But sometimes they were really good and it's really disappointing that something like Journeyman, for example. Oh, oh thank right? you. Right? Right? Journeyman was so good. And it did so many things that all of these, like, travel back in time movies try to do so well. And I was so furious when it was canceled. Like, yeah. it's really sharp. It's really well written. I like the acting. I love that it's, a, that it's a movie in which someone gets, like, a crazy superpower and doesn't hide it from their spouse. And they actually, like, have to deal with that. Like, it's almost like he ended up with some sort of... Like, uh, uh, like, like medical condition that they just have to deal with on a daily basis, except in his case, it's traveling back in time and having adventures. Yeah. Like, they handled it really, really well. I loved being able to see that show. I finally had an excuse to go back and watch Journeyman. And that show is a tragedy that that didn't last. Like, that was so good. But then we see a lot of shows that are total junk. And you're just sort of just like, yes, I, I see why I don't know, <laughs> Future Cop didn't work out. <laughs> You know, like, I, Ernest Borgnine is a cop and his partner is a robot in the 70s. And it's not good. And you're just sort of just like, yeah, okay, we're just going to strip that off the list. That's, <laughs> did that. That's great. Where's another journeyman? Someone find me another journeyman. Okay. Well, I have two suggestions that I think you should talk about on your show. Okay. One that I loved is called A to Z. Okay. Uh, that I I was was so charming with Kristen Milioti and Ben Feldman uh, about their relationship and uh, each episode was a letter in the alphabet and mm. it was narrated by Katie Segal and it was so good. Great, I okay. Well, that actually wasn't on our list, so I will add it to the rather long list. Fair warning. <laughs> what, else, what else have we got? What's the other? Another one, one I loved was called Hindsight. And this was on VH1, and it almost got a second season. Uh, so they left it on a cliffhanger, and uh, and then while they like right before they, I guess they started filming season two, it got canceled. Um, 
Uh, so it was, but it was really good. It was about this, this girl who's just failing in her uh, life in her thirties. And she basically wakes up one day and she is back in the nineties in her yeah. like 20 year old self. And she's experiencing all the stuff that she experienced. It's like, should I marry this person that and it ended badly? Should I make the same choices that I made before? Okay, so it's really so it's kind of Peggy Sue got married. Yeah, yeah. 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 Okay, that's cool. That's cool. But well, with like amazing '90s fashion and music. Yes. Well, I'm sure that's how they felt about the '50s fashion and Peggy Sue got married. But fair enough. Yeah. Uh, no, I will add those to the list. Those sound really, really fun. It's really good. Um, also, yeah, I want to put one in. Yes. Wonderfalls. We know about Wonderfalls. Okay, just Wonderfalls is one of the ones we get. We are we are coming up on our 100th episode, and we are going to do a countdown of the shows we get the most requests for. Um, Cause we try to space them out. Cause if we did all the famous ones up front, it'd be nothing but the obscure ones. And mm -hmm. then no one would, then we'd lose some people who like just want us to cover like, when are you going to get to Briscoe Kenny Jr. And I'm like, eventually, <laughs> like we'll get to it, man. But like <laughs> Wonderfalls is one we, we, we get to, uh, we, we get a lot of requests for, and it really is only a matter of time. But you know, there are, there are a fair number of these, uh, of these things that, uh, you know, people, Mm -hmm. people love I thought it would be fun since we had you on the show to talk about to, to talk about one of the queens we like to call them the queens of hallmark mm. and you know, we left it open to you to select uh your favorite and that uh, you went with alicia witt and so we're going to talk about alicia witt and her six films that she's done for hallmark and uh so why do you like alicia witt alicia witt Okay, first off, when we talk about the, the, the queens of, of Hallmark, uh, also, it, it's sort of unofficially, like, after Mariah Carey, the queens of Christmas as well. So we've got the Lacey Chabert, we've got Candace Cameron Bure. Right. Uh, I think to a lesser uh, uh, extent, you have, like, your Danica McKellars. Yeah. But Alicia Witt is one of those people who, when they appear in a Hallmark movie, you know it's gonna be good. Because she has a really good attitude in her performances first off she's charming she's very funny but she's not afraid to look like a crazy person and you see that in a lot of her uh, uh material like she has this innate understanding that the types of characters who get this obsessed over things like christmas or backyard weddings are people who are eccentric that they are uh, uh, unusual and that those eccentricities can make them really, really likable. Whereas you watch Lacey Chabert do it and it feels like she doesn't understand that that's not necessarily quote unquote normal behavior. Not that normal <laughs> is good, but like you know that she, she treats it like it's an everyday thing. And I'm just like, no, no, that's, most people don't like have wishes granted by Santa Claus and now they, <laughs> they can't lie which is, by the way, Alicia Witt did first. But okay, yeah, like that's a, that's a thing. Uh, Alicia Witt seems to have this understanding that she's in, whether or not the movie is being taken seriously, something funny. Like it's, it, and not, not like she's making fun of it. She just knows that there's humor in there. So like, I, I liken it to if Candace Cameron Bure is the Arnold Schwarzenegger of the Hallmark universe, and if, like Lacey Chabert is the Sylvester Stallone of the Hallmark universe. <laughs> Alicia Witt is the Jackie Chan, where she is she's doing the same action, but she's having a lot more fun doing it. So when you watch her movies, her performance is a bit broader. Her performance is 
uh, a bit more uh, a chipper in a lot of ways. And yet, when it comes right down to it, she's very, very talented and she can bring some really genuine moments to material that on the surface is very surfacey. And I, I love her for that. And I think every time I see the upcoming list of Hallmark movies, I just find the Alicia Witt one. I'm like, that one's being DVR'd. That one's going to be good. And sure enough, she does not fail me. I personally appreciate the movies that allow a bit of humor and comedy. And even if it's not necessarily the most like hilarious topic, um, she really is able to find the funny and bring in elements of humor, which just elevate the movies for me. Mm-hmm. So yeah, she's awesome. She reminds me a lot of Ginger Rogers. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I haven't really seen her dance much, but if you look at Ginger Rogers' performances, which I think some people sometimes downplay in favor of just watching how amazing a dancer she is in a lot of films. But you look at a film she was in like- um, Bachelor Mother. Bachelor Mother's a great one. I was thinking of Monkey Business with uh, Cary Grant, where they take this potion that makes them devolve and start acting like 10 year olds. Mm-hmm. Just the comedic broad timing of it but also the genuineness of that character, even though like it's a, it's an absurd concept. She's got this sort of wide eyed theatricality to her performances that I think works real well in the Hallmark milieu. I think it really works well in this uh, very arch universe they've created in which these types of dramas like, I'm gonna have a backyard wedding. Well, heck we can get two hours out of that. (laughs) That's gonna be a, and we're gonna make it a serious one. Yeah, that's gonna be a drama. We're really gonna put on the water where it's a backyard wedding. Who do we get for that? Yeah, we need Alicia Witt. Yeah, no one else is gonna make that work. Yeah. Yeah, I think she'd be the Lauren Bacall in the remake of uh, of How to Marry a Millionaire. There you go. Yeah. She's great. So there's six different movies that Alicia Witt has been in. And so what I thought of doing is we'll go in chronological order and then each give where they are in our ranking. Got it. That works. So she started out 2010 in Backyard Wedding. This is her only non-Christmas movie that she did. And we have an affection for this movie a little bit on our podcast because it is written by Nina Weinman, who was our first interview and is just the best. Um, and, uh, and it's basically, it's, she plays this woman who's always dreamed of having this backyard wedding and uh, she lives next door to her, her family lives next door to her ex-husband uh, who they they uh, it was the love of her life whatever and uh, and things didn't end too well uh, her husband's played ex-husband's played by Teddy Sears she comes back and uh, they end up coming back into contact with each other and uh and um the old feelings start to come back as we say and um uh yeah amber what do you think about this one um i like it well enough i feel like the concept was fine it's very sweet home alabama yeah um and i mean that's not necessarily my favorite thing like uh the bibs mentioned like we're supposed to be fine with her cheating on her fiance kind of but um and it's, you know, it is what it is because he's kind of a jerk. But also, I kind of think her ex-husband's kind of a jerk. So she's just picking between two jerks. But, you know, it has some fun moments and it's it, it's fine. It's serviceable. It's not obviously my favorite one, but it's pretty good. And what do you think? Um, okay, this is one of the two movies that I actually saw really recently for the first time because we were doing this podcast it's in the other floor I didn't realize I, there, I didn't realize Backyard Wedding even existed so I just watched this and uh, I, yeah this one doesn't quite work for me there's things I like in it 
Um, I think the performances are, are uniformly quite good. Obviously, Alicia Witt owns it. Um, and the the setup is fine. The going back home for a wedding, oh no, my ex is here. Um, my boyfriend likes business. Uh, and he's going to business this sucker. And he's going to be late because business and business, business. And fine. But yeah, I, I think the problem here, and I think Amber uh, pointed out perfectly, is both the guys are jerks. Yeah. The, the main guy, the, the boyfriend who she's marrying, we never get to see them interact at all. Presumably, they have some sort of relationship with enough intimacy and closeness and shared experience that she really wanted to marry him. And this is a woman who's been married already. So she's probably going to be a little careful about who she picks. So the implication is he's got some positive qualities, but all we see is he has a business opportunity in one place she is just got out of medical school and she wants, she's going to have her uh, uh, internship or whatever it is at another place. And that's a problem. And it is a problem. And that's something they're, they would have to deal with regardless of how well their relationship was going. But that's lame. And it's happening right before the wedding. And I get it. On the other hand, Teddy Sears is basically a stalker in this <laughs> because first off, they haven't t- spoken in years. Okay. That's fine. We find out that he, because they were neighbors, he's still friends with her brother. Okay, that, that yeah, okay, they talk. That's fine. As soon as he finds out she's having a wedding, not only does he immediately come back to town, and he admits he did this on purpose. This isn't like, oh, my mom's in the hospital, so I had to be here. It's just like, no, I found out you were getting married, and I realized I should have uh, been the one to marry you, and so I'm here to sort of insidiously take you away from your husband, and I'm like, <laughs> This is my best friend's wedding, except Julia Roberts isn't acknowledged as the bad guy. Like, that's kind of what this is. It's from that perspective. And it's kind of creepy and wrong. Like, he never does anything too horrible, but everything he does is insidious. And as a result, I kind of wanted her to assert her independence and not marry anybody. Because it's one of those things where it's just like, oh, I'm not going to have my backyard wedding, my business boyfriend, blah. And then Teddy Sears is just like, well, I'll marry you again. We haven't spoken in like 10 years uh, <laughs> until like a couple of days ago. But now I think I'm right for you. And I'm like, mm, no, maybe date a little while, see if it's okay. But no, I'm not buying any of this. Yeah. And that bothered yeah. me. Yeah, for me, I, I think that I... I, I just didn't think that they had great chemistry and I can buy like the most ridiculous contrapenses if I feel like the couple has great chemistry, but I didn't feel like they did. Um, and he is not very likable and that's the problem. But I do think that the dialogue is pretty good. I think Nina is pretty good at writing like dialogue back and forth. And it's, I, I think that like the, the rivalry between the two dads is kind of funny. Um, so it's, it's, it's watchable, I think. One of the things I like about this movie, just to talk about the writing, because this is one of the few Hallmark movies in which all of the minor characters feel like they have inner worlds. Yeah. Like, like they go get ice cream together, and the ice cream vendor is allowed to have dialogue that implies that she's a person. Yeah. (laughs) And that's something that a lot of Hallmark movies don't bother with because they're very focused, and it's just kind of only the protagonist and their immediate family, and they don't really have the time or the or the real estate really to tackle anything else and here they took the time and it really fleshed out the world there's a lot of things i like about it but yeah just i, I think partially it's casting teddy sears yeah. an actor i like but you'll notice that when they cast him in things like uh uh evergreen 
I was thinking of uh, uh, Masters of Sex or like The Flash, like the things they yeah, do the outside Flash. of Walmart. Yeah, he's really, really good at being charming, but you know there's something dark there. Mm-hmm. And that is something that I think he kind of brings with him in a lot of his roles, whether he means to or not. I think that's just kind of his persona. Yeah, yeah. So I would 100% buy him as a serial killer. Like- <laughs> yeah, <laughs> he'd be a great serial killer. I mean, no. Yeah, yeah. Like, don't, don't do be that. a serial killer, but like, if they life, needed right. to make another Silence of the Lambs type movie, obviously cast Teddy's Teddy's ears. Yes, definitely. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I, I yeah, I agree. I, the one thing I do like in this script that's not in every Hallmark movie is that like her career is taken like seriously, and she's not expected just to like abandon it for like a guy, which I kind of like. Yeah. I appreciate that too. Yeah, it's nice. Yeah. So, uh, what did, where did you have it ranked in your ranking bits? Uh, this is this is my number six, but it's not like a like a with a bullet kind of thing. Yeah. Like you know, oh, I hate this one. This is just like I think the other ones. I think the Christmas mentality of the other ones keep them a little bit more focused. This one kind of starts off as like a like almost a romanticized Hallmark wedding movie, but then it becomes this weird Sweet Home Alabama thing, and then it gets like oddly dramatic and intense at the end. And I think it just ultimately feels like kind of the roller coaster I didn't want to take. And afterwards, you're just like, oh, that shouldn't have gone on that one. Yeah. Uh, that was, like, the loop was kind of fun, but now I'm feeling it. Like, that's how I feel about Backyard Wedding. Where do you have it, Amber? Um, so I actually have this ranked fifth, um, which is, you know, I, I mean, in crown rankings, Rachel, it's actually like a 3.4 or something. So it's not even like that bad of a movie, but... Um, yeah, it's just not the greatest. I do, I do enjoy it. Um, Frances Fisher is amazing and no matter what she does, but, um, yeah, so it's, it's my five. I also have it at five. So we're, we're the same page. Ooh, I did not see that coming at all. (laughs) Yeah. Um, okay. So next we have 2013. We have a very merry mix up. And this is our uh, plot of her, uh, getting engaged and then, uh, going and then, thinking, finding the wrong family and spending Christmas with her fiance's family, but it's not actually her fiance's family and all kinds of hijinks ensue. And uh, (laughs) uh, what do you think about this one? This one for me is one of the prototypical Hallmark Christmas movies. Like if you would ask me like, put five Hallmark Christmas movies together to give people the gist of what works and what doesn't work in a Hallmark movie, this would be one of them. I think this one is very, very cute. I think the setup is kind of novel. Like, you haven't seen this done, like, a lot. Um, And the cast is really charismatic. They did this really clever thing where um, not only is Alicia Witt and her co-star, some guy, uh, whose name totally escapes me. Mark Weeb? Mark Weeby. They are really, really likable together. They're really charming. They bring out the best in each other. You want them to end up together. But also, uh, the the fake family she ends up with is super great. Like, they have personality. They have a cast that's really engaged. You don't just get the sense that they just generally like Christmas. Like, what was that Hallmark movie that came out, like, this year about uh, the flight attendant who gets holed over in oh, Chicago? Yeah. And, like, the the Christmas family she ends up with 
is really kind of weird and off-putting. And it's just like, you're not part of our Christmas cult unless you wear reindeer antlers. And it just, it just doesn't feel wholesome. This feels like she genuinely ended up in a family with actual traditions. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I really like this one. I think it's sweet. I think it's, it's got a formula, but the formula works. Um, and I really, really dig it. So this is actually one of my favorite Hallmark Christmas movies. Yeah, I've written down, if you don't like this one, then these Christmas movies aren't for you. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> um, what do you think about this one? Um, yeah, so I love this one so much. I own this one, obviously, because it's so good. Um, it's one of my favorites of all of the Christmas movies. Um, the chemistry between Alicia Witt and Mark What's-His-Face is so good. And like the scene where they go and decide to make cookies is just like really believable and really fun and so sweet. Um, so it's just, it's such a great movie. And like her the her real fiance and his family are like they're not terrible people but they are just like the most boring people in the whole universe i I love two things about those those first off a lot of hallmark movies have the cookie making scene and there's usually that moment where everyone's covered in flour and you're just like how did you even do that i've made cookies that never happens (laughs) and then you're watching it just like everyone is literally covered in flour like you're just like that's just probably not sanitary i don't know that's not good (laughs) But here, they actually had a reason for it other than, hey, let's make cookies because they were both in a car accident and they're concussed and they have to stay up. They actually put in the little extra thought it takes to justify the Hallmark cliche. And so there's a reason to do it and it makes it so much better. And it really, really works. The other thing is, yeah, that family. And we've seen this a lot. Like the, the, the sort of, we meet like the significant other's family and they're disapproving snooty people. Like, I think that happened to Candace Cameron Bure like two or three yeah. times. Detour, and Christmas Detour. Christmas Detour is the perfect example. By the way, I love that, like, the boyfriend from Christmas Detour who likes business and doesn't like Christmas as much as other people mm-hmm. is the same boyfriend who showed up in that other Teddy Sears one. Yeah. Yes. And, yes. He's, and I like to think it's the same character and he's perpetually doomed. Yeah, poor to, like, Marcus. To, like, lose characters to, Chris, to like, Christmas dudes. Like, just like, ah, I want him to, I want to do, like, an alternate hallmark movie where he meets someone else who likes business and they actually have like a nice little romance it's kind of boring but they're nice but they're good together yeah but like the family at the end of mary mix-up is almost like hilariously dull like they play it up a little bit just to make sure you know like listen they might be real people but no you wouldn't want to spend time with them either you do not want to marry into this family you want to marry into the nice family that puts things they like about each other in a hat so yes yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah, not the family who's like, mm, here's a here's a kale shake. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I, I have this in number one in my ranking. Okay. Uh, this is also my number one. This is, believe it or not, my number two because there's yeah. another. I know one I that believe I really, it. I really like another Alicia Whitman. Actually, I like all the other ones, like mm-hmm. to varying degrees. Like Backyard Wedding's the only one I'd go. Yeah, you don't need to see that. But like, I like all the other ones. And this is this was my favorite until very recently. And we'll talk yeah, about I was really debating between this one and the other one that's number two. But I feel like, I feel like I've loved this movie forever, even though it only came out in 2013. So there's like almost a nostalgia factor <laughs> for this one. The Cartwrights was 2014. This is the single mom uh, who has to get a job at Christmas. Uh, and she ends up playing Santa. 
uh, and uh, they don't know that it's like a woman playing Santa and uh, to help pay for Christmas. And uh, my opinion on this one is, and this starts uh, Gabriel uh, Hogan. And, uh, and my opinion on this one is that it's not my favorite, uh, but I like the concept and I like Wallace Shawn in it. And I think he's pretty fun. And Gabriel Miller, who's in Trading Christmas, uh, I think she's also always good. She elevates any movie she's in. Um, so it's fine for me. I don't love it though. Uh, but um, I don't know. What do you think, Bibbs? Um, I like this one too. Um, I think you, Wallace Shawn is a really good get for this sort of thing. Yeah. He's the kind of character actor you're not surprised to see, but he brings a lot of genuineness to it as this Christmas angel who kind of knows a bunch of things other people don't and gets to play around and mess with the reality of it. And I always like that. Um, but uh, yeah, I think the thing I like about this one is that it's actually unusually and forthrightly progressive for a Hallmark Christmas movie because the whole idea is she's playing Santa and they don't know she's a woman and she's worried about what we'll find out the, about they'll find out and it'll be a problem. And then in the end, people do find out and she's fired for lying and I totally get that. But what it comes down to is the entire community rallies around her and says, and we're fine with that because it's Christmas, it's all magical anyway. She was really good at it, she made the kids feel nice. Like all of that, I actually really, really think this has a really nice message for a Hallmark movie, because a lot of Hallmark Christmas movies, the message boils down to is Christmas is nice and business is bad. And here there's something <laughs> a little bit more, a little bit more on their mind, and I appreciate that. And that, that elevates it a little bit for me, just because that's unusual in a positive way for, for Hallmark. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's, it's interesting because they keep like introducing things in this movie that never quite pan out. Like there's this whole thing about, oh, she's when she's Santa, she's got like Christmas powers and she knows what kids really want and stuff. And you'd think that would be important later and it isn't <laughs> just in like one scene and it's kind of weird. Like that's gotta be, I watched this and I'm like, oh, this has gotta be like how the third act comes along and she'll know like how this woman at work was naughty or something and or how this person was nice. And blah, like, no, no, none of that. That is not a thing. <laughs> it's kind of a weird wasted opportunity and that I think holds it back a lot it's also just not quite as funny as you'd think it would be yeah like, it, it's absurd and I mean not like inherently absurd but like it's it's silly she's playing dress up and acting like Santa around the guy she likes and the guy she likes thinks she's really this Santa dude and you're just like well I don't buy this this is like almost Shakespearean in terms of like you know woman's wearing pants I have no idea that's not a woman like no that's <laughs> That's a that's a that's a contrivance. Fine, but yeah, I don't know. It's a bunch of missed opportunities, but there's a lot of things I like about it. Yeah, I think that uh, her and Gabriel and Hogan in this one don't have the best chemistry. I think they're much better in one coming up, um, but uh, but sometimes it takes two rounds with a pairing for it to gel um, for me. But yeah, that's a really some really good points there, Amber. What do you think about this one? Yeah, this one's not my favorite, and I'm gonna it's. I was really going back and forth between Backyard Christmas and Christmas at Cartwrights. Like literally four and five, I just like scribbled it out and replaced them like so many times. But so spoiler alert, you know where it is now. But um, <laughs> yeah, this one doesn't super work for me. And I think it mostly comes down to, I just don't really buy the relationship between her and Gabriel Hogan in this movie. It just doesn't seem like that believable and their chemistry is not that great. And I love cross-dressing movies, so that doesn't make any sense why I don't love it. It just, I also feel like you said, they kind of played it serious, and they didn't lean into the funny of this movie. They just were like, 
oh, this is very serious, where it could have been really funny and they just didn't pull the trigger on that. It's at six in my ranking. Where do you have it, Bibbs? Um, it's right in the middle. I was debating between three or four, and it's kind of interchangeable. I, I guess it's like, I guess I'll say it's four. Okay. Um, it's it's likable enough, and I wouldn't tell anyone to avoid it by any stretch of the imagination, but it does mm-hmm. not make much of an impression. There yeah, and, and then it's my four. Yeah. So do you have it at number four? Yeah. Oh. Okay. Oh, interesting. Okay. Because remember, Backyard was five, but I was like... Oh, interesting. So you have one that's different at six. Okay. Um, all right. Let's do this. Okay. So we have I'm Not Ready for Christmas. This is 2015. Uh, this is uh, Alicia's niece makes a wish that she can never lie. And uh, so this comes kind of a liar, liar, liar thing. She can't lie. And uh, it basically like forces her to have better balance with work and uh, to uh, be there more for her uh, for her niece and, and other things. And uh, George Stoltz is in it and uh, as the uh, romantic lead. Um, as you, the guy. He's as the, the guy. As the guy. <laughs> the love interest. He's right, right. <laughs> what do you think about this one, Bibbs? Um, this is one that, this was the one for me where I was just like, oh my God, I can't believe they're just doing Liar Liar at Christmas. Like this, he's heating all the beats of Liar Liar, but it's at Christmas. I can't believe they're allowed to do that. This is insane. (laughs) Um, and I think it's an okay Liar Liar at Christmas. And I think it really boils down to Alicia Witt knows how to make it work. She understands that the reason why Liar Liar worked isn't that he always told the truth and it was awkward. It's that you're fighting yourself. And I think she gives a really good performance as someone who wants to lie and doesn't, can't believe she can't and keeps trying anyway. Um, she's almost cartoonishly selfish at the beginning, but that's good because I think if she was genuinely selfish and awful, we wouldn't want her to succeed. I mean, I think that this cute concept, I agree, uh, that I, and I think that her and George Sultz are pretty fun chemistry i mean my only flaws would it would be that like this niece is very demanding i mean like (laughs) oh my gosh like she expects her uh, to be at everything every function every and like when when she misses anything like i don't know it's just you think that she had like been killing kittens like i think it's a little much Alicia's uh, her aunt. Yeah. Like, I, like, if it's your mom and dad, yeah, okay, fine. It's her aunt. Right. Aunts aren't required to go to everything. Yeah. I don't know where, what environment she's in, but that's not a thing. Yeah, exactly. And uh, But I, I think it's pretty entertaining. I enjoyed it. Uh, what about you, Amber? Yeah, so this one is not my fave. Um, I, I, George Stoltz, I love him. I love George Stoltz. We'll start off by saying that. And I feel like he thinks he's way too good for Hallmark because I feel like he was just like barely dialing him in. Like, he's like, I showed up. You're welcome. <laughs> Which makes, I don't like it. Um, and then also I feel like the Santa wasn't very good. And is this the one, I feel like this is the one where they have like a CGI Santa beard, isn't it? Mom, I can't remember that. Is it? That's <laughs> insanity. Because there's, I mean, there's, like, I just remember watching this movie and being, like, I hate almost everything about it. And, like, Rachel knows I love liars. I love where people lie. I love where people can't lie. Like, lying is the best. But, like... Um, that it's like a Hallmarky shirt. Lying is the best Hallmarky <laughs> yes, podcast. We should. We should. But I, uh, I just, I don't know. This movie, it was so tough for me because... <laughs> 
I mean, Alicia Witt did do a good job of being the person who can't lie. And like, you could see her like internalizing the struggle of wanting to lie, like you said, but every other element in this movie just did not work for me. Hmm, I, have interesting. One, I have one counterpoint to this. There's one thing in this movie that I, I would be shocked if we all can't agree was awesome. And that's Alicia Witt's theme song. Yeah. I'm not ready for Christmas. <laughs> not gonna go there. I didn't learn the words to this song, but it's catchy. Like it's, it's really catchy, and I like it. They shouldn't you have know? titled the movie that, though. the The title is a super snore. I'm not what? ready for Christmas. And it doesn't what? really make sense to the movie. Wasn't it originally announced as the truth about Christmas? That makes way more sense. Yeah, Amber, I, I, I get the impression you don't like that song as much as I do. I do not like that song as much as you do. Um, and maybe it's because I i don't know if you were around and watching Hallmark movies as intensely as I was back then, but they played this song like every interstitial, every preview for all of the Hallmark movies for the entire season. I have probably heard just that part of this, like the same 15 seconds of that song 4,000 times. Mm. And like, I wanted to die. I'm gonna, I'm gonna throw it out there. I was watching Hallmark and that's why I like it because it burrowed into my brain like a parasite. At four in my ranking. Yeah, I, I have this at three, um, but as I said, my three and four are pretty interchangeable. Uh, I think I'm not ready for Christmas and Christmas at Kurt Rates are both like good watches, but I I would not like they're they're not like my favorites by any stretch of the imagination. Okay. Yeah, and it's obviously my number six. Yeah, I did not like go. it. Okay. All right. So then we have the Christmas list. This uh, was 2016, and uh, basically uh, Alicia plans a perfect Christmas that she's always wanted uh, since she was a little girl, and uh, and she has this Christmas list from when she was little, and she plans it at this snowy town and. Uh, and she's, she is, uh, her boyfriend is this, is the uh, president of her company. And he is very, you know, very slick business guy, like you like to say. And, uh, but then she meets this local guy. And uh, anyway, he helps her kind of give her a tour of Christmas and it makes her Christmas list come true. And I had never seen this one before this week. Uh, so I watched it and I thought it was really charming. I really liked it. I thought that Peter Benson was really good as the wrong guy. Uh, he was he was not a total jerk. He was pretty nice, actually. Uh, yeah, he's, he's actually weirdly accommodating, actually. Yeah, yeah. He's, he's not super invested, but he'll do it because she likes it, and I kind of appreciated that. Yeah, he uh, he will wear her, uh, I mean, he at least will he'll, he'll wear the shirt she got him, and he'll try a little bit. Um, and Gabriel, Gabriel Hogan is in this, and I think it was much better in this than in Christmas at Cartwright. I think they had much better chemistry, in my opinion. I, it, 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 they should have more time together, and the, like, the little girl's really cute. And I, you know, I, I kind of like the idea of this person who like, kind of became her mother, but she doesn't really want to be her mother. And so she's like using this, uh, this Christmas thing that was like her way of, as a kid saying, I'm not gonna become my mother. And so she's using, so she's doing this Christmas thing as kind of her way to, to, to try to not be her mother. And I don't know, I thought that was actually kind of interesting and I really enjoyed it a lot. Uh, what about you, Amber? 
Yeah, I really like this one. Their chemistry between Gabriel Hogan and Alicia Witt is way better. I like all of the like traditional ridiculous Christmas activities that like normally they just shoehorn into the movies, but they're like, ah, here's a reason she wrote a list. Um, so I do like that. And then also I think it's kind of fun that Gabriel Hogan's mom is in this. Huh. Oh yeah, so. yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. Susan Hogan. Hogan. So you know, I, I like when family are in things. <laughs> and liars. And liars. Like if there was a movie just about a family of liars cast with a real family, I'd be in. I hadn't seen this one until this week either. And I loved having an excuse to watch a Christmas movie in April because I was actually like having a bad day. And I was like, yay. And <laughs> um, it's interesting. And I, I think honestly, like I'm, after hearing y'all talk about it, I, I realized I put this too low down on my list because there's a lot of things I really like about this one. Um, first off, I mentioned it at the beginning, I haven't really come back to it. This is the movie in which Alicia Witt like legit acts like a crazy person. Mm -hmm. Like we see her, we see this opening where she's a little girl and her mom is like extremely obsessive compulsive and she's a loving mom, but she's, you can see that just, that's just an environment that like forced Alicia Witt to adapt in ways that aren't serving her well as an adult. So when she sees this old Christmas list of things she wanted to do for Christmas, she realizes, oh, I want to do all these things. It's a good little setup. Um, I like that later on, she actually has a really good, serious, honest heart to heart with her mom, where her mom doesn't fully apologize for the way she was. She just says, I became this to adapt to a husband. You became this just like me to adapt to me. And that wasn't fair to either of us. And we both have a lot of growing up to do. I thought that was really sweet. But in the middle there, between those moments, Alicia Witt's like excitement about Christmas is like borderline concerning. <laughs> like find the list. Like, oh, I found my old Christmas list. Oh, I'm going to have the best Christmas ever. And then it cuts to her like frolicking in the snow all of a sudden in this weird nebulous limbo where it's just like, snow! <laughs> Christmas! Yay! And I'm not even exaggerating. That's exactly how she delivers it. And like, we see that she's actually in like this photo op at an office party where you're inside a snow globe. <laughs> and you're just like, it's not even like she's actually in the forest. She's just looking for any excuse. And then the, there's the obligatory tree buying sequence. And she's talking to the trees. <laughs> and like, you know, like, oh, you're gonna come home with me, aren't you? You're nice, aren't you, Mr. Tree? And like, you get the impression she's like building up a backstory for the tree, like they're <laughs> gonna be friends. And like, it's just really odd. And I found that a little, I found it charming because Alicia Witt was doing it, but it's also a little off-putting and you're just sort of worried about her for a while. But ultimately, you're right. This is a very, very sweet little movie in which all the characters are varying degrees of nice. Like, they're not, like, overselling it. They're just letting them sort of be. And, yeah, I, I think, honestly, I think I put this, honestly, at number five on my list, but I think I'm going to have to re-rank my list on the fly. Because <laughs> I think this is probably more like my number three, and I'm not ready, and Christmas for Cartwright, at Christmas at Cartwright, it's probably be like my four and five. All right, like, we talked you into it. I think you did. I think you bullied, highlighted bullied, the things. Like, bullied. Yeah. Oh, you also like bullying? Oh, this is going to be a great shirt. Yes. I like liars, families. I like bullying. lying, families, and bullying. <laughs> Hallmarkies. <laughs> um, so I have this at number two on my ranking. Okay. Yeah. All right, and it's my number three. 
Okay, okay. great. The Mistletoe Inn. So that was last year's 2017. And this is our, uh, she is dumped by her boyfriend at the beginning of the film. This is based on a Richard Paul Evans book. Uh, and it is, uh, and the book is like way, way darker. Um, but uh, she gets dumped and then she goes to this writing seminar and uh, she meets this man played by David Alpay, who's supposedly one of the other students. Uh, spoiler alert, he's not. Uh, he turns out to be this big author. And, uh, and yeah, they, they work together and they uh, work on their writing and they have cute little moments. And uh, there you go. Uh, so Amber, what do you think of this one? Um, so I super love this movie, and it was really tough choosing between this and the other one for my number one spot, because it's so good. And Casey Manderson, as her ex-boyfriend, is obviously the best part of every movie he's in. No offense, Alicia Witt, but Casey Manderson stole the show from you. But um, I really liked it. I liked the chemistry between David Alpay and Alicia Witt. Alicia Witt's pratfall or fatfall when she's on the ice is so good. And she just really nails it. Um, her performance in this movie is amazing. Um, the, the thing that really pushed it down is uh, I hate Richard Paul Evans. So it got a little bit of a bump down because of that. Yeah, the book is like there's suicide and Jesus. like cancer and like it, wow, I had no idea. That's nuts. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. It's I was I was a fan nice. of this one like because I, I I've, I've never read Richard Paul Evans's work, but I've seen the two like Hallmark Christmas movies they made out of his work, and I really liked The Mistletoe Promise as well. Um, because I think both The Mistletoe Promise and The Mistletoe Inn as screenplays, anyway, I can't attest to the source material they're really sharply written. Like the dialogue is unusually good for a Hallmark movie. Not only is everyone, I mean, the plot works perfectly well, uh, but like what they are is they're both two movies in which people get to know each other over the course of the story, but rather than just rely on some like down home sentimental nostalgia, like, oh, we're making cookies. You really get the impression that they're bonding and that they're sharing ideas. Mm -hmm. The Mistletoe Inn, I'm watching this with my wife, who is a, who is a published author. Like, she's written a bunch of short stories, and uh, she's finished a, a new novel she's working on. And, you know, I'm a, I'm a film critic. I, I write kind of nonfiction for a living. And we're watching this movie, and we're just like, this movie understands writers pretty well. I mean, yeah, they're they're kind of cutesy and they meet, fall over in the ice and blah, 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 blah. But when they're actually talking about writing and the importance of, you know, actual like research and detail or when he has that cute speech about the snowmams and how like one of them has good writing advice and one of them has bad writing advice and how the the, the different ways you can internalize criticism. We're, right, we're watching this and I'm like, you know what? This is a good movie. Not just a good Hallmark movie, but a good movie. Like and both both this movie and the uh, Mistletoe Promise were um, like the teleplay was written by the same guy, Michael Norse, and yeah. I I give all the credit to him. Yeah, yeah. fair enough. They, they d Richard Paul Evan of <laughs> like is the <laughs> also really dark and like sad and uh, yeah, they're very so they did a good job. Uh, that's and, so weird. Yeah, that's so weird to learn that. I I, I love that. That's a thing. Yeah. I love that. There's like this whole cottage industry of making these really dark, like 
from yeah. serious things into light comedies and the light comedies are better. I love that. In the book, it, they, he gets the divorced and it's from the man's perspective. He gets divorced and left for somebody else. And, wow. and his father has cancer and he's wow. committing considering suicide. It's just- Wow. Like, yeah. It's very like- yeah. There's this Sorry. weird thing. I, I don't, there's this thing and we see this a lot in like the geek community, like in comic book movies a lot, where you'll watch like Iron Man 3 and they like changed the villain, the Mandarin a lot. Yeah. And a lot of the comic book fans are like, this sucks because that's a bad adaptation. No, it's like, no, it's not, a, it's not a faithful adaptation. They actually told the story better. And I think that's a thing that we sometimes get lost on, the idea that faithfulness isn't necessarily best for the movie. Yeah, like yeah. the Wizard of Oz is actually a very shoddy adaptation of the material if you're only going by faithfulness. Yeah, but it's perfect. Right. Yeah, and yeah. and here, like, it sounds like they changed a lot, and I am super glad that they did because <laughs> both the Mistletoe Promise and the Mistletoe Inn are among the best Hallmark movies, if you ask me. So yeah. that's yeah, so like strange. high fives to Michael Norse <laughs> and please go away, Richard Paul Evans. <laughs> <laughs> The, uh, uh, yeah, the only flaw I have with this movie is I thought the ending was a little bit groan-inducing, like the whole liar reveal. How could you lie to me and not be the, the person? I don't know. That, that, that's my, like, least favorite plot device. Uh, it, it, yeah, I'm, I'm totally with you on that because, honestly, most of the time, I can't even remotely believe that they'll ever have a real relationship after their entire thing's built based on a lie. You can never trust that person again. And yet... Alicia Witt and David Alpay are just really great together and I was kind of just fine with it. And I, listen, I knew what channel I clicked on. <laughs> like, I know what I bought my ticket to see. That's like saying, oh, I can't believe Jason yeah. Voorhees killed all those teenagers. You knew what movie you went to. <laughs> yeah. Like, that's, that's how I feel about that. So I feel like I can't complain about that too much. No. But you're right. It's a, it's a monster cliche. And, you know, when you, when you watch as many Hallmark movies as, as we do, they're built on cliches and you really start to notice them because they pile up on each other. Yeah, yeah. It, it's not deal breaker for me at all. But anyway, I have it at, th at third place on my ranking. What about you, Amber? It's my second. Okay. And uh, it's my number one, but uh, again, it's between this and, and uh, Very Merry Mix-Up. Like they're, yeah. they're both like in my upper echelon of Hallmark Christmas movies. Yeah. And in the end, I'm pretty sure Bibbs and I have a pretty similar list. So. Yeah. Let's go over <laughs> our lists here. Uh, so I have Very Merry Mix-Up at one. I have The Christmas List at two. And it probably was actually helped a little bit by the sort of Christmas novelty in April effect, actually. But I really did enjoy it. So number two, Chris, The Christmas List. Number three, The Mistletoe Inn. Number four, I'm Not Ready for Christmas. Number five, Backyard Wedding. And number six, Christmas at Cartwrights. So what about you? What's your list, Bibbs? Your uh, uh, Okay, so again, my, list. <laughs> my number, yeah, I changed it a little bit. It, it's all basically the same. I decided I liked Christmas List better. But uh, Mistletoe Inn is my number one. I think it's a really, really sharply done movie. Uh, Very Merry Mix-Up is my number two, and it's super close, because that is like one of the er examples of Hallmark Christmas at its best. Um, I shifted Christmas list to number three. I still think it's a bit mixed, but I think the good is so good. Yeah. It, it, it outweighs the rest of it. Uh, my four and five, and they're kind of a tie, are Christmas at Cartwrights, and I'm not ready for Christmas. For me, they're kind of interchangeable. They're both like have an okay high concept and it's mostly saved by Alicia Witt and like a, maybe a supporting performance or two. Um, but 
they're just sort of genial and not particularly great. And then lastly, Backyard Wedding, which has a few things I like about it, but is just all over the place tonally. Yeah. Amber? Um, and so then I have a number one, A Very Merry Mix-Up, number two, The Mistletoe Inn, number three, Christmas List, number four, Christmas at Cartwright's, number five, Backyard Wedding, and number six, I'm Not Ready for Christmas, with a dialed-in George Stoltz. <laughs> there you go. Great. Well, that was really fun. We should, uh, we should definitely, uh, we should do this again. This was for the step up movies. Yeah. Uh, are you, I'm dead serious. Are you serious about the step up movies? Cause I'm, I'm, I have been trying talking about it for a while. Yeah. No, okay, I'm up. there. I'm there. I, it, it's like this random anomaly that I haven't seen them because I love dance movies. It's just, Oh, that you were, Oh, I know. I know. I know. It's terrible. Oh, okay. So I need to repent and yeah. I will. Yeah, so I mean, so like we have been like, Rachel, you haven't seen Step Up? Oh, you have to watch these so that we can talk about them. And it's yeah. just been like a thing, so. I, yeah. I run into people who say like, have you seen Step Up? And they're like, yeah, I saw the first one. And I'm like, then you didn't see Step Up. <laughs> well, so this is good. So now I can see it in the correct order. Yes. In the way it's meant to be seen. So, this, so. this is good. You watch yeah. the Moose Chronicles and then you watch them pre-Moose. Okay, yeah, that's, good. It's, yeah. Well, is Moose in two? Yeah, he yeah. is. Yeah, he, he is. Yeah, he is. The Moose in two. He becomes the protagonist in three. <laughs> and then four, it, he only shows up at the end, but he's so important. I actually call four the time Moose saved Miami and the events that immediately preceded it. Mm -hmm. And then, of course, he's back on, on top in, in five. Spoiler so, alert! Moose Chronicles. <laughs> I'm sorry, Miami is fine. Like, <laughs> I hate to ruin it for you. Miami's cool. Uh, and then, of course, two. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Who does Great. have Alison Stoner in it, though, so it's fine. Well, we will definitely have you on for, for that, for sure. Uh, that was yeah. really fun. And thank you so much. We, this was so fun, uh, fun for me, and hopefully had a good time. And we, we just really appreciate you coming on our, our little podcast. You know, it was a delight, and I love the passion you both have <laughs> for these movies, that even the people who like them aren't always passionate about them. And I think sometimes they get written off, or they're sort of treated ironically. And I think it's one of the best things about them is that you can watch these movies as sincerely and ironically at the same time. Yeah. And they work both ways. And I love that you both get that and that you sort of sincerely love these things and you can also criticize them. And I really, I really dig this podcast. And I just want to thank you both for doing it. And thank you both for having me because this is a lot of fun. Thank you. You, you and your ways. <laughs> Well, uh, so how can people find you? Okay. Uh, well, I'm, I'm all over the place. Uh, I'm on Twitter at William Bibiani. Uh, my podcast, Cancelled Too Soon, is on iTunes and Stitcher and wherever fine podcasts are podcasted. Um, and that's the show where we review uh, television shows lasted one season or less. Uh, that has a Twitter account. It's at Cancelled Cast. Cancelled has one L. Uh, we also have a Patreon, patreon.com slash canceled too soon, where we have bonus episodes for our Patreon subscribers. Um, this month is our pilot season, so we're reviewing failed TV pilots, but we're also doing pilot episodes for bonus podcasts. Mm -hmm. And our Patreon subscribers will get to be our studio execs, and they'll get to vote for which one goes to series. So stick around for that, because that's a lot of fun. Um, we also have the Critically Acclaimed podcast, me and my co-host Whitney Seibold, where we review new movies, and uh, we pair good movies and bad movies and as sort of an odd double feature and use them to explore each other. Um, that is on the Schmoes No iTunes feed and the SK Plus YouTube channel. That's how you prefer to consume your media. And I sometimes write for IGN and The Wrap. And if you love movie trivia, you can uh, see my games on the movie trivia Schmodown, 
on YouTube, which is a trivia show in which people compete in movie trivia, but it also has like the sort of wrestling aspect. So there's a lot of like big entrances and smack talk and weird behind the scenes drama that gets played up for laughs and it's a lot of fun. Yeah, you tear it up in that, those, the showdown. You do oh, thank pretty, you. pretty well, it's pretty well. And, and you wanna follow Bibbs on Twitter because he does these amazing AMAs and uh, that are really fun. So you can ask, you can ask him anything, literally. Oh, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> I really like them. Uh, so, Amber, where can people find you? As always, I'm at Amber Brainwaves on Twitter, and that's it. Great. And you, <laughs> <laughs> and you can find me at Rachel's Reviews on iTunes and on YouTube, so check that out. And <laughs> <Bye>. <laughs> So, great work. You're the best. Yay. Bye.